If you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 37. I would venture to say that all of us have been in circumstances where we felt this isn't fair. That sense can come from a variety of circumstances. Someone else got the promotion that you've worked so hard for and really deserved. But they got it. And it's not fair. Someone else gets paid more than you, at least that's what you understand, and they have less years of experience, less knowledge, but they got hired in and get paid more. And they don't, it's not fair. Someone else got the recognition that you deserve for a completed project. And it's just not fair. Well, you never say anything, but in your mind, you're thinking, it's not fair, it's not right. Someone else continues to get their way again and again and again and again. And you're in your mind, you're thinking, what gives? This ain't right. It isn't fair. Well, in God's Word, we see an example of a man who experienced, from most people's opinion, a string of really bad luck. In fact, many of people would say that what Joseph experienced is simply not fair. Let's see why people might think or feel this way. So once again, we're going to be skimming through Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 15. Don't worry, I won't read all, all the chapters involved. But I want to give you at least four examples in this text where really one can look at the life of Joseph and say, man, that is completely not fair. If you would, first of all, in Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 14, it says this. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. And then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing. And bring word back to me. So he sent him from Hebron, the Hebron Valley, and the, went to Shechem. So here he is. Joseph's father sent him to check on his brothers. It seems like an innocent, easy enough task, right? I mean, he's just going down to Shechem. He's going to check on the sheep. He's going to check on his brothers, make sure that they're all doing well. Simple enough task. But then, as he gets there, his kind-hearted brothers were so excited to see him. In fact, you see their wonderful, elated response in verses 18 through 20. Verse 18 says... They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Those are some wonderful brothers, I'm just telling you. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into the pits, and we can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. I mean, how many want brothers like that? Maybe some of you feel like you already have brothers like that. But, you know, here it is. Joseph just, hey, Dad sent me down there. I'm ready to go, Dad. I'll go. He gets there, and they're less than excited to see their brother. In fact, they can't stand him. He's the child of his father's youth. He's the one that's, if we could say it this way, the golden child. I mean, his father gives him a special coat of many colors. And they're irritated to high heaven with him. 
They just want to kill him and get rid of him. So here's what happens. Reuben steps in and saves the day just for a little bit. But look at verse 23. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty without water. So here it is. I mean, he has no food, he has no water. Rather than killing him, they dig a pit, they stick him down in there, and they're like, just let him die. Who cares? Take his coat, let's rub some man, blood, blood of an animal on it, take it back to Israel. We'll say that a vicious animal got him. Hey, hey no big deal. You say, man, does anyone deserve that? I mean, you can see why somebody looking in at the story, if that's all they knew, say, well, man, that's, that's a terrible thing. That's, that's, not, that's not fair. All kinds of things happen in our lives that are what? Not fair. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that God never promised us that life would be fair. And we have to know that God has a plan, and we're going to see this as we see the story unfold a little bit, that God always has a plan. God always has something that he's doing in the background, and sometimes all we can see is what's right in front of us. And that's why God reminds us that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Because we can't always see what God is doing in the background. And if all we look at is, is right here and right now, man, we'll just get irritated and say, I give up, I'll quit. I'm, I'm just going to leave. I'm taking my marbles and going home. But God always has something he's doing. So the situation where Joseph's father sends him back to check on his brothers, man, just a totally unfair circumstance. So then we see another example. Joseph's brother sold him to a band of Midianites. Look at verses 26 through 28. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers agreed. I mean, how nice of them. We don't really want to kill him, but, you know, he's our flesh. Let's at least let him live, but we're going to sell him. <laughs> how nice is that? Once again, those wonderful brothers, kind-hearted. And... Verse 28, when the Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. So Joseph's brothers sell him to a band of Midianite traders to become a slave, more or less. So once again, his kind-hearted brothers took his coat, covered it in blood. We see in verses 31 through 33. It says, So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, We found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? As if they didn't know, right? I mean, they knew exactly. It was their plot. And immediately, verse 33, his father recognized it. It is my son's robe. He said, a vicious animal has devoured him. And Joseph has been torn to pieces. I mean, this assumption that looking at this coat covered in blood, that an animal must have got him. So meanwhile, for 20 pieces of silver, according to verse 28, Joseph was sold and brought into Egypt. You see, the second thing that happened that's really not fair is that Joseph was not only put down into a pit, sold into slavery, but now he's being uprooted from his homeland and being brought to another land. I don't know about you, but fish start to stink about three days out of water, right? I mean, you know how it is. You go on vacation, what's the one thing you can't wait to get back to? Your own home, your own bed, your own house, your own aquarium. Because really, fish start to stink after about three days out of water. 
You want to get back to your own aquarium. You see, Joseph will never have his own aquarium again, so to speak. He is uprooted from his homeland and sent to another land that is not his. And what did he do to deserve this? Really nothing. I mean, really, was it his fault that he was the child of his father's old age? Was it really his fault that his father loved him more than the others? You say, well, he wasn't perfect. No, he wasn't. He kind of did some crazy things. I remember how this whole story starts off. He has these dreams and all of a sudden just really makes his brothers love him all the more knowing that they're going to be bound down to him one day. In fact, Joseph was kind of that goody two-shoe just a little bit in the beginning. He really was. He went and tattled on his brothers. It's right away in the text in, in Genesis 37. And they just hated him all the more for it. But really, life is totally unfair for Joseph. It's not right. But we find out a lot of times in life that what happens to us is not right. But why would we expect anything different from the world around us? We see a third thing. And it wasn't as if it wasn't enough to be sold once. Joseph gets sold again. Say, is that even possible? Here it is. Look at verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards. So as if it wasn't enough to be sold once, he gets sold a second time. Can you imagine the self-esteem that Joseph might have had if he was living for the world's values? Man, I just, I, I just can't get ahead. <laughs> really? I mean, this guy's going through it. Nobody wants me. Or maybe they want me for the wrong reasons. Gets sold again. And then there's another circumstance, a fourth one. And this is where we see in verse 7 and 10 through 12 of chapter 39. So if you would skip over a chapter to chapter 39 and look at verse 7 and then verses 10 through 12. Verse 7 says this. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. Down verse 10. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside the house. Man, what character did Joseph have? I mean, think about it. Who would know? I mean, God would know. Obviously, God knows everything. But can you imagine? Who would know? Joseph would know. God would know. And he goes on, and he stands up for righteousness. He stands up for holiness. And here's what happens. In verses 14 through 18, we see the story unfold. And she is irritated with, with Joseph right now. So, because of all of Joseph, Joseph's uprightness, because of all of his right doing, Verse 14, but when all goes well for you, remember that it was with you. Oops, I'm sorry. I turned one too many pages. Forgive me. 39 and verse 19, or 14. She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. 
And when he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until the master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious. I mean, he is, he's not happy at all about this Hebrew slave here. Verse 20 says, And he had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. You say, man, this isn't fair at all. I mean, what, did he, what wrong did Joseph do? Nothing. You say, man, are, are people really that cruel? Are they people that hate, filled with hatred? Yes. I mean, all he's doing is doing what's right. I mean, he, he knows that Potiphar has given him control over everything. I mean, he has control of everything that he could possibly want. And he takes a stand for righteousness and gets thrown into prison for it. How many of us have ever thought, you know, man, I'm doing what's right. And look what happens. No, you weren't thrown into prison. Nobody plotted to kill you, possibly. But in your mind, you're thinking, man, I'm doing what's right. God, I've surrendered. I've committed my life to you. I do everything you ask me to do. And man, what gives? Anybody ever felt that way? I have. I can remember sitting there in our first year of marriage after college. And I remember thinking to myself, I went through four years of Bible college, worked my tail off to get through it. And I'm in ministry, and I kid you not, my first year of ministry... $8,500 a year for a full-time Christian school teacher. And now I'm telling you what, and you know you know the term ding, double income, no kids? We were bringing it in, $16,500 a year, both teachers full-time. We were living high on the hog. Not. But I remember thinking, Lord, what are you doing here? i got to live. I don't have time for a second job. I mean, working at a Christian school and working 70 hours a week and my wife putting in that many hours, how... How are we supposed to? Lord, we surrendered. Take care of us. And no, he did. He just didn't do it the way I wanted. But have you ever thought you've made all the right decisions? You're doing what you know what to do that's right. And yet it feels like this isn't fair. I could imagine just for a moment that looking at Joseph's life, one could come to that conclusion. He's doing what's right. He's living for the Lord. And we're going to see that in a moment. And even though he's living for the Lord, things that he would not choose, things that he would not ever pick, are happening to him that are not pleasant. And one could very easily say it's not fair. So Joseph, because he runs out and chooses not to sleep with Potiphar's wife, she cries foul. And he gets thrown into prison. And not just an ordinary part of the prison. Where the enemies of the king get thrown. That's where he got. I don't know what that really looked like. But in your mind's eye, think of it. There's this one part of the prison. And then there's a worse part of the prison. That's where he's at. That's a reward for doing what's right. Let me ask this question. How do you respond when things don't go right? And when it really seems... That life is unfair. How do you respond? 
You get mad, you get bitter. I've been guilty of that. Retaliate? Well, if so-and-so's going to do that, well, then I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm guilty. I've wanted to do that at times. How about this one? You speak harshly about or speak harshly at because you're ticked off. Because it ain't fair. Guilty. <laughs> Maybe you are one of those that likes to get even. Or as we jokingly say, I don't get even, I get ahead. Maybe that's you. I, I don't know. But I'm sitting there looking at this life of Joseph, and I'm thinking, how, how did he respond to all these things? Because, man, it's just not fair what he had to go through. I think you can see that Joseph very clearly responded three ways. Number one, we find this in chapter 39, the first one, verses 2 through 6. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. And the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in the fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. The first response that we see from life with Joseph is that he remained a faithful servant. Even though it wasn't fair. I mean, nobody should have to be sold into a slavery, but even as a slave, he remained faithful. How do you do that? I don't know. But I know that God was with him, and he was walking with God. But he remained faithful, despite the circumstances. That's not easy. It takes character to do that. So here he is, sold not once, but twice, and as a lowly slave... Because of his character, Potiphar sees that God is with him. I wonder when life is not fair, and we're going through those difficult times, if other people can see that we're walking with God and God is with us. That's not easy. But it takes character. And it takes walking closely with our Lord. I think we see a second thing. In verses 21 through 23. Verse 21 says this, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. I mean, think about this just for a moment. I mean, is this like a weird concept or what? He's buddies with the warden in prison. Who does that? God's favor was on him. So he refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife. So all this ranks that he'd risen above, kind of set aside, you're in jail now. But even in jail, he remains faithful. So Joseph rose in the ranks because he remained responsible. Look at verse 22. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. And the warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. 
And the Lord made everything that he did successful. So first of all, we see that Joseph remained a, a faithful servant as he's thrown into, into slavery. And then you see that Joseph rose in the ranks because he remained responsible. How many of us feel like in our flesh, man, this ain't fair. Skip it. I'm done. I'm walking out of here. Someone else can deal with it. Man, I think you could feel justified doing that. Nah. Joseph said, I'm going to remain responsible. I'm going to take care of everything that God puts in my authority. I'm going to do what's right. Whew. That's not easy. And I think we see a third response of how Joseph dealt with what we would perceive as unfair things. This one's in chapter 41, beginning with verse 37. Verse 37 says, The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will, be, will obey your commands. Only I, ask, only I, as king, will be greater than you. Think about this just for a moment. Joseph is sold as a slave, and because he is faithful, even as a servant, he rises up to a place of authority in Potiphar's house. His wife cries, Fall, he's back in prison. And while he's back in prison, the part I didn't get into for time's sake is that he interprets a couple of dreams. Will you remember me as you go out? Of course they didn't remember him until years later. But all of a sudden, he's back in a place of authority a second time. And then after all that, he's brought into a place of authority a third time. Why did God do that? Because Joseph remained faithful and obedient and responsible. Verse 41. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments and placed a gold chain around his neck. Wait, wait a minute, is this the slave that was... Yeah, that's the same guy. God is honoring him. And he and Joseph ride in the second chariot, or had Joseph ride in the second chariot, and servants called out before him, Make way! So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. I'd say that Joseph was given a good fair amount of authority. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephaniah, Penea, and gave him a wife, Azanath, daughter of Potiphar, priest at Wa'an, and Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph remained faithful in times of unfairness. Joseph rose in the ranks because he remained responsible in times of unfairness. And Joseph is exalted because he allowed God to use him in times of unfairness. 
And in all three circumstances, he was able to rise to a place of authority where everybody else was underneath him. You say, is, that gonna, is God going to do that for me if I remain faithful? Maybe not. But here's what we do know. God always has a plan. We may not be able to see it, but God always has a plan. What was God doing in the background? What is it that we can't maybe see on the surface as we're going through the difficult times of what we perceive as unfair? I think God answers that question very clearly in chapter 41, verse 57. Every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, for the famine was severe in every land. You see, what you don't see at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 37 is this. Someday there's going to be a really, really, really bad famine in the land. And everybody is going to be starving and wanting food and grain. And God's going to have his hand of blessing on this place called Egypt. And what we couldn't see in Genesis chapter 37 is that Joseph is going to be the leader and the king of Egypt, so to speak. And everybody's going to be coming to Joseph for their food and grain, for their well-being. What happens here? in conclusion of the story what was Joseph's mindset towards his brother I mean let's just we, we kind of walked away from that for a minute let's come back to that just for a moment you ever had a brother a sister a family member a close friend just kind of royally treat you wrong in every sense of the word <laughs> you gotta love that I mean what if Hypothetically, what would you do if you had the authority to do anything you wanted? Oh, really? You wanted to? Uh, yeah, it seems to me you're wanting food? Okay. Um, it seems to me I remember a few years back um, you sold me into slavery. Hmm. And you want food now. <laughs> Guards, put them in prison. See ya. <laughs> what would you do? You have all authority to do whatever you want. Joseph had character. Here's what Joseph says. His mindset towards his brother. Look at verse... In fact, turn over a couple more chapters to chapter 50. And remember, God is setting the stage for Joseph to care for his family. The very ones who didn't care for him. Isn't that ironic? The very ones that could give a flip about him, Joseph is now going to be in the position and place to care for them. Look at chapter 15, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What's he saying here? You have no reason to fear. Because remember, in this circumstance, and we didn't get into all of the details of the story, but now his whole family is sitting before him. And they realize that this is Joseph that they put into a pit, that they sold into a slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And they're afraid. And Joseph just leaks, leans out after he had a time of weeping and says, you have no reason to fear. You don't need to be afraid. 
Can you imagine what's going through the heart and the minds of those brothers? Um, are you sure? Because we were pretty mean to you. You have no reason to fear. I'm right where God wants me. How in the world could you come to that conclusion? Only God. Only God. See, because God was back here in the beginning. He was setting a stage for this moment. And that's what sometimes we cannot see. Because right here in the now, it doesn't make sense sometimes. Why am I going through this? I don't know. Why did he allow this? I don't know. But God is at work because all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. According to my purpose, I would have it work out this way. But according to his purpose, he wants it to work out this way. He is God. But Joseph says, don't be afraid. I'm exactly where God wants me. Here's his second response to his brothers. You see it in the same verses. Verse 19. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. To bring about the present result, which is the survival of many people. Remember what we said way back then? They didn't know there was going to be a huge famine. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could say that about every unfair circumstance that happens in our life? Because we're going to face them. Guaranteed. They're going to come. And you're going to have those circumstances that say, this ain't right. This ain't fair. And you can imagine looking out at your brothers and saying, as Joseph did, God planned this for good. So that it would be able to help many families survive. God has allowed me to rise in this place of authority so that as you would come to me, even though you didn't know it was me. Number three. Look at verse 22. Or verse 21, excuse me. It says, Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Ooh. He goes, don't worry, brothers. I'm in the place where God wants me. God planned this for his good. And I'm going to take care of you. But not only you, I'm going to take care of your children too. And your families. You have nothing more to fear. He reassured them that he would take care of them and he comforted his brothers with these words. I don't know about you, but this story is convicting. Because there's so many times in a given week where I think, this stinks. Say <laughs> you're right. Maybe you're honest enough to admit the same thing. That circumstances happen daily, weekly, monthly that you wouldn't pick you wouldn't choose you'd run from the circumstance if you could and say it's just not right it's not fair but here's what we have to come back to regardless of what anyone else does in life I'm still responsible for me right Right? <laughs> I'm responsible. I can't control what other people do, although I'd love to. 
I would love to have that opportunity, and so would you. You would love to control this circumstance so it works out just like this. But you can't. So what do you do in those circumstances? Trust God. And if we learn from what, J from what Joseph did, you remain a faithful servant. You remain responsible. You continue to let God use you. This story is just a small snippet of what the big story is. I mean, it's a cool story of redemption where Joseph is in that place of authority where he's able to take care of all of his family members. But you know what happens right after this? The book of Exodus. Is that not cool? How God set up the stage for something so spectacular? Through one man who went through a string of circumstances that just seemed completely unfair. But he remained faithful. So, well, what if my story doesn't turn out like Joseph? I mean, that's okay. Because God is still in charge. God is still faithful. And anything we have in life, <laughs> we're still blessed far beyond what we deserve. Right? We all have so much. We all have so much. And we let things. I don't know about you, but I'm good at that. I know how fleshly I am. I feel like Paul when he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I feel like some days I just don't get it right. Some days I make a decision I'm going to do this, and then I let my flesh get in the way. It's like, not easy, is it? But God expects us to be faithful. He expects us to do what's right, regardless of what anyone else does. You see, one day when I die, and one day when you die, you're not going to stand before the person that made things miserable for you. You'll stand before God. And he'll, the one, he'll be the one to judge things justly. So we, even though we feel like we could rationalize or excuse or justify how we respond... None of that's going to hold any water with God. We're responsible for our own actions. And I think if we would do well to learn from the life of Joseph, remain faithful, remain responsible, continue to let God use you, and let the outcome be as God would choose, despite how unfair things may be. What a challenge. What an incredible story. Just remember, in the midst of it, we don't always see what God is doing in the background. Back in chapter 37, you couldn't see that there was going to be a famine. Back in 37, you couldn't see that there were going to be three times that Joseph would rise to authority. Back in chapter 37, you couldn't see the maturity and the growth that would take place in the life of Joseph because of all that he went through. Couldn't see all that. But God was in the background working. And we have to trust that he's in control. Amen? He's got this. And he just wants me to do what's right. Let's pray.